welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Amy, hey, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. We were just chatting before we started recording about how when I got to read kind of what your book Fix Your Eyes is about and what your message is, it hadn't really occurred to me. And I think that there are going to be a lot of people listening who feel the same way where you come across something and after you read it, you think, oh, wait, yeah, I totally do that. Or I've totally seen that play out in the world. And so I'm really excited to talk about kind of your conceptual topic and what your book is all about. So before we dive right in, can you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about your book, Fix Your Eyes? Yeah. Um, Well, my name's Amy and I wear a lot of hats, but probably the most like public facing ones are that I'm an author and a speaker. I'm a Bible teacher predominantly. So I do a lot of teaching of conferences where I teach expositionally through Bible passages. That is a big part of my life that I absolutely love. And then I also run a small business called Tiny Theologians and I make discipleship tools for kids in the areas of like theology, church history, biblical literacy, and discipleship. So that's a big part of like my public facing life. Keeps me really busy. But the more day-to-day side of my life, I feel like fewer people know about, but my husband and I are church planters here in Greenville, North Carolina. We're planting Trinity Church Greenville. We're two years in, and we're both full-time with the church plant. So like my nine to five, and, you know, sometimes like my, you know, seven to seven is um, church planting. And we have a one and a half year old named Emerson who keeps us on our toes. So it's a really fun life of wearing lots of different hats, which I love in my personality. Like I would be so bored if I only had one kind of job. So it's really fun for me to do lots of different things. So, and then I am a first time author. So I'm writing Fix Your Eyes, comes out October 5th. And the concept of the book, you uh, mentioned this, but it's, you know, you mentioned kind of stumbling upon it and being like, oh my goodness, I do that. Well, that's where this book came from is because I realized in my own heart and life from my Bible school and seminary experience, as I moved from that season of life into local church ministry, I realized that, that there was this really big gap between theological knowledge and study and intentionally pursuing theology and intentionally pursuing worship of God mm-hmm. in a daily way, in a practical way, in an affectionate way. And so I found myself, you know, post-seminary, here I was serving in a local church and thinking, oh, I really miss having theological conversations. I miss, you know, picking apart a theological topic or taking one topic and looking at it through the entire Bible. We just call that biblical theology. And I couldn't find that within the local church. And I was a bit disappointed, but there were all these events for me to go to, whether they were like local women's conferences or regional events, and they were worship events. 
And then there were these workshops that would draw me back mm. into the seminary classroom. So I could like either pursue the worship route or I could pursue the theological route. Yes. And I just kept coming back to the nature of theology is meant to actually drive our worship. And so that's what this book is all about. It's really intentionally unpacking theological topics. And my hope is that it helps us as Christians see how those doctrines actually underpin and drive our worship and give our worship a rootedness that has staying power. Because I don't know about you, like I've gone to worship events and they're amazing. My heart swells with affection for God. I have these great experiences of the spirit and of conviction, these experiences of worship. But then it doesn't have the same staying power. Like I've mm-hmm. left those events and been like, gosh, I just guess I have to wait until next year till this conference right. like comes back to town, right? Because right. I it didn't have the same staying power in my life. And on the other side of the spectrum, I've studied something and been like, now what? Like mm. I've st- learned a new theological topic and been like, what do we do with this? What's yeah. how do I apply this to my daily life? So really, theology is meant to lead us into worship. And theology without worship is not truly theology. Worship without theology is not truly worship. And so this book is structured like a systematic theology. So it unpacks the basics of core doctrines of the Christian faith, looks at where we see them in scripture, articulates them in a way that I think gives credence to the historic church. How have Christians talked about this throughout church history, but then also has this heavy dose of application for the life of the modern worshiper. How do these things play themselves out in worship? And the reason the book is called Fix Your Eyes is because I'm proposing like so many have in the past. This is not a unique concept to me, but it's actually Christ himself that pulls theology out of the abstract. It's not Mm -hmm. just these mental concepts meant to like make our heads full of knowledge. It's actually Christ himself that is our theology. He's our access yes. point to knowing God. And it's Christ ourselves that makes worship not this mysterious, oblong thing that we can't quite wrap our heads around. Worship is actually pulled out of the abstract by Christ himself. So as we fix our eyes on Christ, actually theology is going to become what it was meant to be. Worship yes. is going to become what it's meant to be. And there will be a really clear bridge between two. So that's what this book is all about. I love that because I think that modern day, let's say women, right? So let's say like most of the people that listen to this are female. So let's say modern day Christian women, I think do feel like there's such a clear divide between the two that there's theology, which is study and there's worship, which is very emotional and connective. And I think a lot of women especially feel like they're good at one or the other. They're like Mm -hmm. naturally equipped for one or the other, a lot of the time by their kind of just natural, like who they are, right? If you're more research-brained, if you're more philosophical or education-based, you may find yourself drifting towards the the theology side of your walk with Christ. And if you're a feeler and an emoter and a, a connector, then you find yourself going towards the other. And I think that exactly what you're saying, that the holistic experience of a relationship with Christ is a both and, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that doesn't mean that you don't maybe have a natural leaning towards one or the other. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that they inform one another, that they are connected to one another. And I love what you said about Jesus being our access point to both, you mm-hmm. know, because I was thinking when you were talking about going to those worship events and I kind of, I'm a little bit of a cynic admittedly I'm working on it but I remember at a young age going to those and feeling like they were emotionally manipulative 
feeling like they were meant to draw out some like very extreme emotional reaction in me without inputting theological side that you're talking about that like gave that worship basis that that gave Mm -hmm. it but then I think people feel the opposite right that theology can feel very like dry and Mm -hmm. like incapable of connecting with it so I feel like that's kind of is that kind of who you wrote the book for like women who feel like it's one or the other find themselves leaning towards one or the other. Yeah. And really I wrote it for anybody who is like, theology is interesting to me, right? I, I think theology would be interesting to read about, but I'm not going to pick up a 700 page, 600 page systematic theological tome. Like I'm not going to be able to make my way through that. So yeah. As we live our lives as modern Christians, whether we find ourselves chasing toddlers around, whether we're working in the workplace, we're working in nine to five, whether we're running a company or we work three twelves in the hospital every week, whatever we find ourselves doing, most of us don't have the capacity to open a systematic theology textbook and start working our way through it. So for the person that's like, hey, I want to learn theology, but actually how could this be accessible for me in my everyday life? First and foremost, I wanted to make it really accessible, make it really clear and simple for the person who says, I want to learn this stuff. But then also I want to make it accessible for the person that's like, you know what? I'm not theologically minded. Yeah. Um, I am a worshiper by nature. I'm a feeler. I am a connector. I like that you use that word. I'm very relationally motivated. My relationship with God is fueled by affection and devotion. Mm-hmm. And that is a good thing that we want to foster. And yet then when they hear theology, they're like, I wonder if that's a weakness of mine. So for the person who's like, I'm theologically minded, but I don't know where to start. And the person who says, I'm not theologically minded. And I don't know how to like build that muscle slowly, but surely this book, my hope will set a good foundation for us, but also sort of help the two sides meet each other. Yeah. Help yeah. the theologically minded person work their theology out in daily worship and devotion to God, which actually is what leads to real life change, right? So for the person who finds themselves more on the worshiper side of the spectrum, they're going to find, oh my goodness, I go to these events and they're fine in of themselves, but you know, actually has staying power within my life is when I take truths from God's word and I worship God in response to those truths, because guess what? The truth carries with me. Like, I don't need it to be this like worship band with stage lights because that's temporary, but these truths I actually get to carry with me. And actually, you know, a lot of us modern Christians have a Bible in like multiple rooms of our home. The truth is actually literally all around us. We have access to it on our phones. We have access to it on our computers. I mean, we could access the truth anytime. And so we don't have to wait for these events. We don't right. have to wait for these specific opportunities to engage our, our worship side of things. Mm-hmm. We can worship God as he's revealed to us in the word of God. So yes, that's the person I wrote it for. The person who says, I want an accessible theological book. Mm-hmm. That is actually what, that was actually the gap that I kept seeing because my husband yeah. and I are in local church ministry. We met in seminary. We both went to seminary. And so we find ourselves people saying, Hey, I actually think I could be really interested in theology. What do you recommend? And I'm like, I literally am not sure what, to, where to start yeah. because I can give you these big books, but like to the mom who just had a baby and is like, I have some time I could read on my Kindle. I'm like, I can't in good conscience, hand you <laughs> 700 page ebook. Like right. I just, you're going to be so discouraged, you yes. know, and you're just going to feel like you can't. And so I wanted it to sort of fill that need yes. also, but then help, help us see how it finds our, 
how theology finds its feet in our daily lives. Well, and I'm a big, if you can't find it, make it kind of person. So I, I find myself drawn to people who do that, who are like, this is the gap that I saw. So I filled it instead of just being like, mm, bummer, there's a gap. I should exist. Right. Yeah, I wish I, I could find something. So I think that, you know, if we're talking about theology and worship, I think that, you know, we talk about them kind of informing one another, almost like a cycle. Do you find people struggle to let that cycle go one way or the other more? Like, do you find people struggle to let their theology define, like inform their worship or their worship inform their theology more? Well, this is probably just based off of my personality. Right. So I, because I know myself and my own heart and my own limitations, I probably can more easily recognize it in the world around me. But I, I think that one of the biggest struggles that we're seeing today in the church, and I'll say, I'm going to be the first to admit that this is the struggle of my own heart, is those of us who do tend towards theology, which I do. I'm an mm-hmm. analytical person. I love the life of the mind. I love picking things apart. I love study. Those of us who have that natural inclination, if taken too far and fostered in the wrong spirit, we can become dogmatic about getting theology correct Mm. without letting theology be affectionate. And I think that when you get into that habit, it's sort of like muscle memory. We become people who know a lot about God, but have failed to know the heart of God and get to know God as our savior. I can articulate him as prophet, priest, and king, you know, in the scriptures. I can talk about how Christ fulfilled all these roles. And yet, is he the mouthpiece of God for my heart? Is he the one who intercedes for me as a priest? Is he the king of my heart and life? When we develop the bad spiritual habit of knowing information about God without letting it be formative for our lives of worship, it's a really hard cycle to break. And Mm -hmm. I actually think we're seeing this, if I can like bring it into the contemporary sort of the public sphere of Christian life, I actually think we're seeing this dichotomy more and more as we watch, you know, major Christian leaders fall not just in disapproval. So not like, oh, they did something that I'm not talking cancel culture. I'm talking no. about falling into sin, yeah. being removed from office for abuse. I mean, when we're, when we're watching major platforms crumble, mm-hmm. we're looking at that and going, how did this happen? We're mind boggled by it and we're heartbroken by it, rightfully so. But I also think that we, for a long time in the church have started overlooking flaws in character and Mm. flaws in parts of worship, like a pastor or a leader who lacks a heart that is after God's Mm -hmm. by saying, ah, but they get the gospel right. So I'm going to give them a pass on all these other things. You know, maybe they have some really harsh theology of gender right? Yeah. But you know what? They're good on the gospel. They get mm-hmm. that right. So I'm going to- Bare minimum. Just, right. And, I, and I'm not talking like we have differences of opinion about like the role of women in ministry or how marriage 
roles should play out. I'm not talking that. I'm talking like really harsh abuse of women that are unbiblical or really harsh abuse of gender that are unbiblical. So we give them this pass by saying, but they get the gospel right. But the truth is, and this is what we're seeing. The reason they fell is because they did not get the gospel right because it wasn't being lived out in their lives exactly submission to God. So I actually think those of us who even look at this and go, you know, I'm theologically minded and yeah, it doesn't like make my eyes well up with tears when I learn something new about God. Like, I don't think you have to be this super emotive person to connect your theology to your worship. No, But even the person who hears this and they're like, I actually don't see the dichotomy between the two. Even if we don't see it in ourselves, we can easily see it like in the public sphere when, yeah. when we can recognize when somebody has gotten a lot of things correct about God, but there's still not a softness towards the Lord. Amen. And that's the path, right? That's the path yes. between theology and worship. If you love this podcast, if you love Confessions of a Crappy Christian, did you know that there's a whole crappy Christian community that exists outside of this podcast? Yep. And it's awesome. The Collective is a private membership group for people who want to grow in their understanding of scripture and want to have real life conversations about the stuff that is happening in our day to day. Every month in The Collective, we cover a different topic that impacts all of us through a biblical lens. So for example, right now we are covering biblical sexuality and it's not too late to join us and you can also get access to next month's conversation about grace versus law and the freedom christ died to grant us so for 27 dollars a month you get four additional podcast episodes along with access to the freaking incredible facebook community where people are doing life together learning together praying for one another and cheering one another on the collective is honestly my favorite part of my job no offense to the million other parts and we would love to have you join us sign up is super easy you just need to visit crappychristianco.com slash community for more information and to join us today. We'd love to have you. We're getting close to sweatshirt weather. I mean, not in Louisiana, but I'm sure some of you are. So I wanted to make sure that you know that the Crappy Christian merch shop is open for business with favorites like Won't He Do It, Be Found Standing, and our Jesus Lover Tea, also in the comfiest sweatshirts ever. Head to crappychristianco.com slash merch to grab your new favorite sweatshirt. Okay, let's get back to the show. Have you listened to the rise and fall of ours hill? I sure have. Buddy. Yeah. Who buddy? Like that's exactly what you're talking about. It was not just Mars Hill. It was not just Mark Driscoll. No. Because we, we know deep in our bones the human desire to amass for ourselves information about God and intellectual preciseness about who he is and to check that box, to Mm -hmm. say, theologically, we have checked a box Mm -hmm. and to be dogmatic about it. And I think actually in our legalistic bent as most like, I'll just speak for myself, in my own legalistic bent, Mm -hmm. I want to check a box. And so if I can line up my theology and my doctrine and say, it is correct, I don't have to mess with the messy stuff, the gray stuff, the gray area of worship and Mm -hmm. God actually forming and changing my heart. So yes, so for people who have listened to that podcast, I think it puts on display what we're talking about, what the, the, the big gap between what we know of God and how we submit to the God that we know. 
Absolutely. I mean, I can even speaking from experience, you know, I think that the rise and fall of Mars Hill is a great kind of personification of what you're talking about. Even though I'm not hundred percent sure, I believe that Driscoll got the gospel right, but that's a different, probably a right. And different... that's what I would say. I would actually right. say like, we have come in our like public minds to say that what they, if they say Jesus died, rose again, and that is how you're saved. We're sort of like, well, check. You're good. Like they get a pass on a lot of other things. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, Jesus in his ministry actually does not approach. (laughs) Like he doesn't approach fruitfulness that way. No, exactly. Well, and I've experienced that online a lot with, and I've talked about this on podcast episodes previously and on my Instagram, you know, that there's, I don't want to like, quote unquote, like lump people together, but there is definitely a subset of people who don't like me and my message who are very dogmatic, who are very legalistic because I do tend to lead with grace because I do tend to lead with, you know, that because I've said things like don't beat people over the head with doctrine, they hear that and hear me say, I don't think doctrine is important. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not doctrine inform. like doctrine informs what we know, what we know informs how we experience Jesus, how we experience Jesus, how we communicate Jesus to other people. It's not that I don't think doctrine is important. I think that I'm tired of watching the church and people online beat people over the head with like what you were saying, their extensive theological knowledge, missing most of the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Jesus was when caught in adultery, he told that woman like, go and sin no more. But he didn't say you're a insert this word because you got it wrong. Go get it right. Mm-hmm. He said like, neither do I judge you. Now I'm going to radically change the trajectory of your life with love and compassion and empathy and non-judgmentalness. And I feel like that can just to be totally honest, can sometimes be missing from the like mm-hmm. theological community, not by and large, not like throwing a blanket, but I think that as I've eked my way into theology, right? Like little baby steps, kind of like you're talking about and understanding it and wanting to grow in my knowledge. Like your book is for me. I'm one of the people that you wrote your book for, which is the best, but there are times where I encounter these great theologians and I find myself like, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have felt that way as we observe the harshness of Mm -hmm. theological circles and I will say in most of the theological circles that I find myself in most people want to connect they want to walk this bridge between theology and worship I mean most of the pastors there's a reason as I talk about you know hey public leaders that fall you can name you know hey the Marshall like because I don't think it's this like every pastor in every church is trying to hold on to doctrine without having a heart for God. Like I'm married to a pastor. I see firsthand on a daily basis, how he deeply desires to Mm -hmm. see what he knows about God, transform his daily life and walk in affectionate submission to God. I get to see that on a daily basis. So don't hear me saying this as like a blanket statement for pastors, but I think a lot of us, when we step into the theological world, we've observed something that I have experienced in my own heart. It's like not, um, I don't know another way to describe it, but it's like proud of the way I describe this, but it's almost like being theologically constipated. Like we have all of this information about God and it has nowhere to go when we don't live it out. Um, And so we know that God, we know the fruit of the spirit and we can articulate who the spirit is and what he's come to accomplish and what he does in the life of a believer. And 
you know, those sorts of things. But then we correct somebody because they denominationally differ from our own tradition on things like the spiritual gifts. We correct them in a spirit that is not consistent with the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we're like, what is the disconnect here? And that's the disconnect is that we haven't fostered often hearts of worship in theological circles. And that is, that is my own heart. That is my own bent. And so I have to fight for that connection on a regular basis, not just to be correct, but also to be affectionate for God. Like that is the call on the life of the believer. I heard something um, you mentioned like people, resp- you know, hitting people over the head with doctrine and stuff like that. And doctrine has such a central place throughout church history. It's actually been the unifying um, yes. thread that doctrine and the spirit. So, you know, in Jesus said, worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. These doctrinal threads have tied the church together in every generation. And I think that some globe. of the most problematic teachers that we have seen fall is because they abandoned doctrine. Yeah, you're, you know, you're not so that's, that's not to say, like, I, I think the doctrine and theology are so important. They are. And they're a helpful benchmark for us. Like, I tell people all the time, like, we've had people join our church plan and then move away and they're like, what do I look for in another church? And I can tell them, here are the core doctrinal essentials. And these things are really important to have unity on. Like, we need to be able to, like, go to a church that says God is triune. There's Mm -hmm. no salvation apart from Christ. Jesus died and rose bodily. Like, those are the essentials. We want to have those in common. So I'm definitely not disparaging the importance of doctrine. But we also, um, like, are you familiar with, like, the tiered approach to theology? Like, you know, first Mm -hmm. tier, second tier, third tier. This has been so helpful for me. And we're straying a little bit from... Uh, like our original conversation, but I think that this is really helpful. This has been so helpful for me. I was presented with this structure for doctrine that has served me really well in local church ministry. And I just wish I had it so much sooner. So Mm -hmm. um, this tiered approach to theology basically has tiers one through four. And some people have tiers one through three, but the system that I learned or the structure that I learned has four tiers and issues of dogma or reality is the first tier issues of doctrine is the second tier issues of conviction is the third issues of preference are the fourth so issues that are first tier issues are like the trinity jesus is the only way to salvation jesus died and rose again those sorts of things then second tier is doctrine so maybe things that we see in god's word that we're making doctrinal interpretation on like baptism some people look at scripture with a heart moved by god's word by his spirit and arrive at the conclusion that they should baptize infants into the covenant family. Right. And other people in the same heart and the same spirit look at the same passages and believe that they should baptize professing believers. So that's a doctrinal issue, um, right? So things like what is happening at the communion table, those sorts of things would be in the yeah. second tier issues. Third tier would be issues of conviction. So for some people, that's going to be issues like school choice. If I'm really deeply, if I have a deep conviction, I should homeschool my children. That's the conv- issue of conviction. Um, for a lot of people, issues of women in ministry, that's an issue of conviction. And then we've got the last tier, the fourth tier, which is issues of preference. So like worship style, mm. what kind of, like how, what is the vibe of the church that I go to? Like, are they yeah. casual? Are they high liturgy? you know, whatever. So those tiers really help us say first tier issues. We have to have deep unity. Like we cannot sacrifice these things. Second tier issues. We probably want within the body that we're worshiping deep cohesion, but not uniformity. 
Like yeah. you can worship with somebody who's a pedo Baptist if you're a Fredo Baptist. That's fine. And we can have an open hand of welcome and fellowship, but we're probably going to be most comfortable and probably grow the most in our own, you know, people that have a lot of second tier issues in common. But then third and fourth, man, we need to keep our hands wide open. Yes. Because we've got this closed hand on first tier issues. So I actually think it serves us really well to know where our where these different doctrines fall mm-hmm. because it actually enables us to have a spirit of generosity with other believers as we encounter these things so that we can have that gentleness, so that we can yes. have that, that we can bear the fruit of the spirit as we correct people. And as we show them a better way, we have to make sure that we're showing them a better way into first tier issues. Like we're, we're showing them truth. If we're showing them God is actually triune. You think God is like, th- there's three gods. That's like father, son, and spirit. Actually, God is triune. God is one. We right. want to like lead you into a better way. But I'm also 100% not who said this. Ray Ortland said this recently. He said to his church in his membership class, he says, I will not give my life away to build a church where you can come and squabble about third tier issues. Not worth it. I'm not gonna build a place where you can come and argue about politics so that you're all the same to Mm -hmm. that end. Like that's Mm -hmm. not what the church is, but to give my life away to build a church that loves Jesus and keeps primary things in their primary place. Goodness, I will lay down my life for that every single day. So I think that really helps us. So my book, Fix Your Eyes, unpacks these first tier issues. It's unpacking like, who is God triune? Who is Christ? Who, what is the church? How does he feel about the church? What is the church's role within the world? Um, what, what are final things? What does the book of revelation say about what is to come? And we don't get into like, you know, the nitty gritty of when Jesus is going to return, but we just say Jesus is returning. Those are like the first tier issues that I think serve us really well as we keep a close hand of conviction and confidence around first tier and a lot of second tier issues even, but we keep this open hand of generosity that allows us to discuss and explore and learn and grow from other yeah. things differ from us. I love that tiered approach. I think I like, you know, you can act kind of like we, I accidentally was aware of what the whole premise of this was. It was like, you're accidentally aware of those tiers, but uh-huh. having, giving name and structure to them is really helpful. Cause I think I, I love to debate. It's just my personality trait. Like I love, like, let's go. Like my friend that I'm recording at her house right now, she regularly is like, I wish I love to do anything as much as you love to debate like but (laughs) but a lot of the time I will say like like you were talking about those top tier issues like it's just not up for debate like it's not it feels like a waste of not a waste of my time to talk about but like let me say this a different way those are the only things that I'll be like you're wrong yeah you know what I mean like if someone doesn't have like a biblical view of the things that you're saying that's the only time that I'm willing to say you're wrong and this is what the the reason that we can say and redirect people part of the reason that we can actually do that and hold that with such confidence is because the scriptures are really clear about certain things exactly I find myself really wearied when people are like scripture is really clear about women in ministry I'm like there is just a reason that throughout the centuries of church history every living scholar has fallen in a different place on this there's a reason on the sign gifts that throughout church history in every generation people have fallen in different places we can't be dishonest and say that the scripture is as clear on the trinity as it is on some of these other third and fourth issues 
So it's actually helpful. It actually serves us well because then we can have these spirits of generosity. And that means we go to bat for the right things. I'm not exactly. going back to my political party. Like Ray Ortman said, I'm not, I'm, I will not lay my life down right. for things that are not of utmost importance, but goodness for one person to see that Jesus is the only way to, to be made right with God. Mm-hmm. I will lay my life down for that every single day. So it actually Absolutely. gives us this real, it's the mission of the church, right? It actually right. clarifies for us what the mission of the church is and how we can live into it. I don't think that that means that we don't talk about those other things that we don't discuss or even share where we land about those other things. Like you're saying, it's not, I'm not willing to lay my life down for policy or for like these secondary issues, but, and I'm open to conversation about those things as well. Like I'm open to, I could be wrong about this. Tell me what you think about it. Whereas those first tier things we were talking about, I'm like, ah, you're like you're wrong. We just you're, can't I love give you, but on you're those wrong. things. Right. right. Exactly. We just can't give on those things of primary importance. And actually, I find that so this is this is maybe a bit risky to say, but I actually find that in our current Christian climate online, we will find more people that can articulate passionately why they believe what they do on third and fourth tier issues than they can on primary issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a real check in our spirit when we can give 16 um, resources to somebody who believes in masking, if we're anti-mask, we can give 16 different studies and resources for that. We can name studies and name psychologists that are researching this. We can name all these things. And if somebody says, why do you believe that God is three in one? We have no answer. That's actually Mm -hmm. a really concerning trend to me. Or if somebody can say, I homeschool my kids and I'm going to tell you why it's the correct way to raise your That's exactly your children it. as Christians. It's but that like say, line in the yes, sand. Yeah, that's right. We can believe these things, but 100%. also do we know, I mean, scripture calls us to this. Do we have a reason for the hope that we believe? And the hope that we believe is not homeschooling. The hope that we no. believe is not anti-masking or whatever, you know, whatever your preferences are. I mean, it right. could be anything. You right. could be a passionate masker, a passionate anti-masker, a passionate public schooler, a passionate homeschooler. I mean, either way, but if we don't give a reason for our ultimate hope, which is Jesus, then we have, we've missed something along the lines. Like we've gotten our theological categories wonky and I actually think it helps us just live it like scripture commands us to live at peace with all men as much as it depends on us. And I actually think this tiered approach really helps it really helps us yeah. live at peace with men yeah. because we can say, we can reach across the pew and say, oh, we have so much in common because we share these first tier issues. Exactly. We have so little in common with how our lives look. Like, yes. that's okay. But we have so much in common because we hold Christ in common. And I think that is where we actually see the fruit of the spirit bearing out in the same podcast where Ray Ortland shared that about what he shared with his membership class about not laying down his life for you know, people to squabble over issues of preference. Sam Albury said, you may rebuke. So I'm going to botch. This is not a drug Okay. I'm (laughs) going to botch how he says it. But he says, you may rebuke someone in, and you may be right, but if not done in gentleness, because gentleness is the fruit of the spirit, your authority does not come from the spirit. Mm -hmm. And that is, Ray Orland said, that's a direct hit. And I was like, it is a direct <laughs> Yeah. All of us are sitting here going, oh my goodness, you're right. Yeah. I, we can, and so the premise of my book, we can be correct, but if we are not affectionate, 
our theology is not living itself out in the life of worship. We may be precise, doctrine may be precise, but it will lack devotion and the warmth of affection that we're meant to have for God. So we just have to keep the two intermingled, um, Mm -hmm. keep an open road between the two. Otherwise, we're going to be these people who are theologically constipated, or we're going to have lives of worship that are unrooted, right? So theology roots our worship. And worship is the outlet for the proper outlet for our doctrine. That's, that's the Christian life, right? We are all muddling through the messiness of how to navigate it. But that I think we can agree is the Christian life. How do was, how does what we know about God, who God has revealed himself to be in his word, how does that live itself out in my daily life of devotion Mm -hmm. to God? I think that this is really for everybody, right? Because you, I mean, maybe you've gotten this all figured out. Maybe, maybe you land in the middle, but I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, like if I'm, I lean probably more towards the worship side and could use more rooting or you are rooted, but you could use more of like a softer connective approach. And so I'm really thankful that you're like sharing that message and telling people that like the two intermingle, the two coexist and inform one another. When does your book come out? Is it out? It comes out October 5th. Okay. So by the time this comes out, Mm -hmm. it'll be out and you can get it all the places you get books. I'm sure. Tell people where they can find and follow you online. So I'm on Instagram, Amy Kate Gannett. You can follow along with tiny theologians online too. And then my website is amygamut.com. One of the things that I didn't mention earlier is that part of my role as a Bible teacher has grown so much more online. So I lead Bible courses, verse by verse Bible courses. I have a discipleship course on my website that I taught with other Bible teachers like Hannah Anderson and Melissa Kruger and Jen Wilkin and Hunter Belis. That crew and I put together a discipleship course that's really, really fruitful for the person who says like, I love theology and I love learning and I want to help other people grow in Christ. That person would really enjoy, it's called daily disciple making. I think they'd really enjoy it. So um, amygana.com is where you can find kind of information about all those different things. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and your heart with us. I hope people read this book. I know I can't wait to. Thanks, Blake. I really appreciate it. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.